Welcome to today's thing, Community Forum. Thank you so much for joining us from wherever you're from. We usually have a global audience, so thank you very much for joining us today. We have a very special episode for you today. We have a very special guest, and we also have community members that are part of my Patreon and my YouTube group that are going to join our discussion as well. So first, to introduce our community members, we have Hans and we have Rodman. And our very same, <laughs> Rodman's grabbing something from the side. <laughs> I love it. Sorry, I should have probably said, hey, I'm going to bring you on. And then last but not least, our very special guest, our very, very special <laughs> guest, Alexandra Mertz, Tesla Boober Mama. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, Alexandra. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So for those that uh, may not be familiar with Alexandra, Alexandra uh, has a ton of uh, experience and a background in uh, finance. And uh, I'll let her kind of do a, a more uh, deep introduction. But her and I had an uh, interview uh, not too long ago, I would say probably like about a month ago. Uh, mm -hmm. And we learned so many things around many different topics that either directly or passively impacted Tesla and Elon and, and um, sort of that world. And today I'm very excited to have her on with the community for us to really sit down and deep dive different topics that relate to Alexandra's background. And then the other really cool thing about this as well is because this is a community forum and it's live. If you're in the comments, drop your questions in the comments uh, section below, and then I'll look to moderate as much as possible to bring in your questions and your comments into the discussion, as well as Hans and Rodman driving a lot of the conversation as well through their questions. And so the goal here is going to be to have it as free flowing and as natural as possible, but we're going to really deep dive and get to the bottom of things on the topics that we'll be discussing to really help everyone understand what's going on, specifically with ESG, which is one of the topics that we have going on in this channel, but also anything else that may come up. So. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to hand the mic over to Hans, and I'm going to try some cool effects here to see how this works. And then Hans will uh, give you the platform and kick us off, my friend. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm excited uh, for this opportunity, and it's great to get to meet you in virtual reality. Um, so one of my first question, just to kind of kick things off, was uh, just an easy intro question. What do people think that you do versus what do you actually do? Oh, that's a good question. Thank you, Hans. Um, so I guess people on Twitter think I'm all day on Twitter, right? <laughs> that, that is not the case. I'm also not a YouTuber. I've done a couple of videos which I have published on YouTube because that was just the uh, easiest platform to do it. My real job since 2014 is I'm an immigration consultant, meaning I'm helping people entrepreneurs structure their business side of things so that they obtain either a non-immigrant visa or a green card for the United States. So that is my day job and that keeps me very busy at least six days a week. So I have a little bit more time and I have from time to time a little break of five or 10 minutes between my meetings. And in the good old days, I'd go to the bathroom. Now I go on Twitter, right? So you do see me a lot on Twitter because I'm just absolutely passionate about it but it's by far not my day job. So before 2014, uh, before coming to the United States, I was for the most of my career in finance. We could certainly get into that. And then the last seven years, I had my own real estate agency. I was a, a broker uh, and uh, I did a lot of uh, residential property transactions on the French Riviera. Nice. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. That was easy, and then, but just wait. <laughs> I feel it's getting stronger. 
Awesome. All right. And then, uh, Rodman, did you want to kick off the next question? Yeah. I, um, my, my name is Rodman Lau. Um, I'm a Tesla fan. Um, I, I came from a software and kind of moved over to doing my own investing here that does it full time since about 2008 is when I kind of got started. Uh, to ask maybe um, Tesla, like Martin V. the IR um, person for, for Tesla investment, he said, like, um, Tesla has retail, I mean, six million investors out there who own Tesla shares. And that's, that's like a reading thing because, I mean, I just, I, well, I, I just can't, I don't think, maybe even shares, shareholders, maybe it does. Ronman, I think but you're like, breaking up. It's hard to follow right okay. now, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. Let me see. Is, is that one of the ones on the spreadsheet that you have on? Did you, did you add that question to the spreadsheet? Yeah. I can ask it on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Which one I, is it? Which entry? I'm just four. Like, like what? What should every novice investor know about Tesla? Is that the question? Well, about investing. There's so many people who are new to investing because maybe a, a, an, an Tesla. So what should these people people um, what, what what about investing that that maybe they don't know if okay yeah so okay. i think i think the the question is uh you know if you know what what should people know about investing that perhaps they don't know and maybe give us a little bit more insight from that perspective yeah i mean you know that's the one thing about getting older. When you're younger, you have convictions and you believe you can actually transmit those uh, uh, convictions. You would have asked me that question um, 20 years ago. I would have told you, look at a certain number or a certain ratio in uh, the financial statements, right? And I don't think you should completely ignore financial statements because there is lots to be done. But the one thing I learned of having had the different positions in finance and getting older is um, firstly, mostly it is actually retrospective and investment should always be looking into the future. And second, it just doesn't apply when you have disruptors. When you have real disruptors, um, you would have missed 2017, 2018, 2019 Tesla. You would have probably started like me in 2020, but not with 100% of your portfolio because you would have just listened to people telling you never do more than 10% of this, never do more than that, put your eggs. I mean, I, I listened yesterday, funnily enough, to um, um, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. He was explaining for the 50th time his his theory that nothing ever over 5%, as soon as it's 5%, it has to be cut. What a mistake when you have a, a generational stock like Tesla. So all this to say is... Um, I'm today not convinced anymore of what I was taught when I started in finance. So I was a a fund manager. And as a fund manager, we had certain rules because when you do a fund, when you have to manage a fund, whether it be in Europe, whether it be in America, you have to give to the SEC the rules that you're going to follow. Most of them have, have 
uh, diversification rules that none, no single stock has can be more than 10%, or you have to have special rules giving it 25%, or even more special stocks where it allows you to go higher. But those get really very, very small quantity of stock. So I did all that for years. And then what happened is once I realized what Tesla was all about, which was not by looking at spreadsheets, which was not by reading, which was by putting my butt in the car, that was it. You know, it was the product that convinced me. And then any ratio that I saw tried to tell me, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But it was too late because the product conviction was there. Now, does that mean that every product that convinces you, you can just blindly now buy everything? No, because some products are good, but they cost too much to produce or they don't have the right management in place or they don't have the right um, addressable market. But when you have that combination and when you see the upside, forget about ratios, forget about numbers, forget about looking at, at financials. Do you I have think a follow-up question there? Sorry, go ahead, Hans. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, so once you were experienced the product and you saw what it was all about and you were very mm -hmm. compelled, like what are the next steps that you take from there to then investigate? Like, does it have those extra facets that you need, whether it's management, whether it's scalability, um, the different things that you need to investigate, whether or not this product can go the distance. What are, yeah. Yeah, what are, the, what are the things and, and what are your next steps in investigating those? Yeah. So um, it wasn't at all as professional as you hoped for. What happened is um, we had the BMW i3, so I knew about electric cars. After that, we wanted to, we had a, were on the wait list for the Model 3, but obviously production hell happened, so we knew it wasn't going to happen quick. Um, so we, we leased a Bolt and wait and, and told Tesla to wait until that Bolt lease was up for, for delivery of ours. So we were used to electric cars. And the Bolt came uh, up to maturity in May 2020, and in March, early March, my husband said, let's go for a test ride in, um, for Tesla. We knew in, in May it would, it, uh, we would need to change. We had no clue about COVID yet, right? Um, and so we went to the delivery shop, drove five times around the block. That was it. It was a love story. Um, and, um, and it was actually incredible how much better it was than the i3 and the Bolt. So it wasn't I guess for somebody who comes from a nice, it's an even bigger step. But for us, we were quite used to all that. And yet it was still so overwhelmingly better um, and came back. And then COVID hit in the next couple of days and the stock plunged. And I just I have no idea whether it was divine or what it was. I hadn't looked at any financials. I had no good opinion about Elon. I just thought he was a freak out there. Um, so, you know, no research, nothing other than having had my butt in the car. I said to my husband, sell everything because he was looking mainly after our allocations and everything. Uh, sell everything by Tesla. And that's when we started buying. And so I actually did the research afterwards. But from there on, I never had a 10-hour sleep anymore because I'm falling asleep with YouTube Tesla videos. I'm waking up at 1 o'clock Pacific to look at the damn stock price and look watch for another two hours any YouTube videos. I obviously now anticipate all financial results and now make sense of it. But the moment I bought and the moment we took the decision to go from a very diversified portfolio, which I was happy and my husband had his little corner for his options, right? That was, I mean, just the way. After 25 years of marriage, you get organized. Um, but that was just it. We, we, 
we in a in a second decided this was our window and there we were and uh, and beyond any reason beyond 20 years and and for my husband it's even worse because he was one of the people who build up financial analysis tools there is an option trait that is called like him right he is much more brainy than me much more engineer like me so for him to go 100% you know i did it because i'm so german and organized and 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 doing what I was taught to do. For him, it was much more thought through. And But both of us, we were just in harmony deciding this was it without any further research. No regrets since. I mean, it, we were much higher. We're half down now. But uh, nobody is selling any shares. We're buying still from with any free penny we have. Um, we're telling the kids to do it. We're, we're trying to bring our part to the table to convince other people. Now, does that mean I'm blind? No, no, no. I've done the research afterwards and i'm still like i said studying all these things mm-hmm. i'm very proud of people that go into financials even deeper than what i would do i think some of those people out there are really doing a great job but that was not my deciding factor on tesla because i just i i recognize the opportunity it is and all the theory was out of the window there was a comment here. Uh, Welcome to the Tesla stock or clock lifestyle. <laughs> what you were describing, which is hilarious. And there was also another comment I want to highlight as well. Um, somebody said that uh, that's nice that you're helping people live the American dream, which is the work that you're doing uh, today, Thank which you. is super awesome. Uh, I, I wanted to also uh, sort of add another follow-up to, to the turn of thought here. Do you think the Tesla um, investing case that has happened here in the last few years, do you see that somehow changing the trend of how funds and analysts and what you know, whatever you want to call it, big money is going to, um, is that going to change how they're going to be looking for future potential companies like a Tesla? Or do you think this is just a once in a lifetime opportunity and then we all just revert back to how we've always been doing it? How do, how do you think um, about that? Um, very good question. And actually, one of the things I tried to prepare in my thought of train for today was like um, one big disadvantage of ESG, and I'm sure I'm sure we're getting there, is that by S by Tesla now being in the S and P 500, right? It is in all these portfolios, and what people have to understand is that means the Black Rocks of this world and the Vanguards and the State Street, they now hold all this Tesla stock and have the proxy vote power, right? We just had this uh, invitation to vote for the, the the next meeting and you had all these um, politically correct questions in the lower part of the, the questionnaires. And those are questions that might have a different outcome now, given that so many of those shares are held by fund managers that may have a, an agenda, may, may have an ESG agenda. But let's get to that a little bit later. Um, the, the, for me, it is clear that Tesla will become stronger and stronger just by the growth of its market cap in all those indices. I'm a big opponent of indices. I mean, we've talked about that last time. I'm not sure we want to go there again. But the problem is when you have indices made just be by market cap weighting or by some selective um, mechanism from S&P or Dow or whoever, um, the, the, you actually give away decision power to people that do in backroom committees take, take, committees take decisions. By doing that, you influence how a stock 
is in the short or medium term traded. I don't think in the long term it makes a difference, but I do believe there is an impact in the short and the medium term. And so there may be a positive impact, which we have seen at the moment of the integration of the S&P just exploded because there was so much demand. And when you have demand, well, the price goes up. But it may also have a lagging effect and it may have an effect on policies, on, on the way the company should be managed, right? We already know by, you know, just by going public, any company that you carry from a medium-sized company to a going public company gets much more structured, loses a little bit of its entrepreneurial energy, um, except if you have people like Elon who can't be reduced <laughs> to something more politically correct. Yeah. But but um, uh, here we're going into the next step. Here we're going to the step to be owned by institutionals if they if they get there i mean listening to gary black they're still not there right every time gary has his rant like they're not buying it because they don't understand elon or they don't understand all this whatever noise it is um so the so the um, if your question is do i think tesla will get established yes it will look at apple apple is today an established stock no noise nothing happening one or two or three events per year, and, and that's just it. Talk to people who traded Apple 10 or 15 years ago, they remember much more choppy times. So I do believe, yes, Tesla will get into smoother territory, but but um, it won't be immediate, and it will actually come with also some negative effects. If those big funds go stronger into Tesla, it will it will bring the stock price higher up, but it will also bring their influence to decision-taking to whatever else, a higher stake into the company. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the one thing I hate about asset management and about rating agencies and all that. That's my biggest criteria. You actually reduce power to a happy few because they have proxy vote power. And people don't talk about that enough, and it just drives me crazy. By being a fund investor, you give your vote away. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I don't even know how to think about that until you you brought it up because I feel like you need that sort of uh, insight from your side to really understand that point. But that makes a ton of sense. It makes a ton of sense. So I think then does the question become? Uh, how badly is that going to impact Tesla in the future? And is that something that only an Elon well, can, uh, person can navigate, you know? Well, no, 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 no. The question is, the battle between Elon, his followership, you know, us understanding what he wants to do and accepting the way he is, which is no problem for me at all, against the established world, which has a huge problem with his manners and his be- behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the battle that's happening. And, and by... And and the trap, and I'm sorry, I'm getting so pessimistic because it's I don't want to sound too pessimistic, but uh, the trap was the ETFs. While, when mutual funds were still expensive, they made a heck of a money, right? And I hated it then. That's not the, the question. But since they were so expensive, people were thinking twice whether they wanted to go in there and then they were holding whatever. And the whole market was just cheaper. So the whole, the whole diversification was a different one. With ETFs, it's become such... Um, an easy and cheap tool that you have a lot of active market participants that use ETFs to play the market, 
Okay, so they are in suddenly a QQQ ETF to shorten QQQ or to whatever, just because it's not that expensive. They would have never gone in a mutual fund to do it because it would have been much more expensive. Mm -hmm. Now they do it in the ETF. If that is the proxy date vote day, right? If that is the date that something happens and you were in there, well, you actually participated to give to BlackRock or Vanguard or State Street or whoever your vote. And you were just doing it for trading purposes. You were never even thinking about it. Mm. Mm. Ramin or Hans, any, any follow-up there? Yeah, well, I think this brings up a really interesting question about the special class shares that you know a company like Palantir, for example, has that makes the management team pretty much invulnerable to these types of dynamics. Like, what's your opinion on those types of shares, what types of companies are those a good fit for and what types of companies are they not a good fit for? And uh, should this be something like, you know, it's too late at this point, but is this something that we wish that Elon had in Tesla? Yeah. I, I really think that would have been a very good way of doing it. And I think Peter Thiel did it in a couple of his structures. I, I mean, if you saw very early on what this uh, whole game of Wall Street is. I mean, again, I don't feel I've understood it all. And sometimes I just tell myself, stop thinking about it because it's so depressing. Um, but if you, <laughs> it is, <laughs> it is. But, but if you wanted to limit the influence that potentially came from people that just had in hand more of the voting power, more of the influence, that's the way to go. And I mean, it, it is too late for Tesla. I was actually, funny, at lunch, we were just discussing this with my husband. I was a bit disappointed that the share count increase voted now, you know, the one we just all voted for, is so limited. Mm -hmm. So it's going, if I remember right, from two, two, two billion to six billion, right, uh, shares. So that's just the three to one split we're doing now. What the heck of having done it now times 20, even though you would just do now the share count three to one, just mm -hmm. so you were ready, but also send the signal that we don't have to go every time through a shareholder um, vote again before we, because if, if, if we want the next one, we have to go through a shareholder vote again. So meaning it's a six months operation again. Why do you think they made that decision? Because I found that very no interesting as well. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't. I mean, I didn't find any good reason for it yet. And we were ta talking about it, Michelle, my husband was going, well, at least it covers this one. Yeah, of course, at least it covers mm -hmm. this one. But that's short-sighted. Who knows what happens with the stock? I mean, his argument was like, you know, the, the stock will now be around $200. There will be um, uh, no, more people interested in a stock at $200 than $600. Does it make sense? No, it doesn't because fractional shares exist. I mean, this is all easy-peasy stuff. But, but nevertheless, options will also get cheaper. Right, the, mm -hmm. a couple of realistic advantages happen, and but I mean, again, why not just push it up to a really high number and then be able to do short term and quicker uh, decision taking? I, I haven't found any good reason why they didn't do it. Do you think too big of a split, like a 22 one, sends maybe too optimistic of a signal to the market that says, hey, we mm. think this stock's going to go through the moon and could that create some exuberance that maybe Elon yeah, doesn't want or is that too naive? Two different things. So I, yeah. 
I mean, the three to one, let's be honest, I didn't like it. I would have liked five to one, 10 to one, even 20 to one. I thought three to one was like the cheapest thing. It was just giving mm -hmm. us something, but like throwing a bone. I didn't like it. But is it important? No, it's not. But that's not what I was talking about. It's um, in the bylaws of the corporation written 20 years ago. I don't even remember the date it was. But anyway, um, they had limited the number of shares to 2 billion. Right, that was just because that sounded at that moment outlandishly high as number of shares. They need new shares on a regular basis for employee compensation, and obviously, when you split, you also increase the number. Right, so when they split last time, um, four was it four to one? No, I don't remember anymore. Was it four to five? One? Yeah. And I think five. one point three or something outstanding. Yeah. Exactly. So, so it, it wasn't possible anymore, even doing a two to one split without having changed the bylaws, right? That any change of that nature of the bylaws has to go through a shareholder meeting. So by now going from before 2 billion to now 6 billion, that allows for this new three to one split. But it doesn't give any further room. And it, it will obviously also allow for new employee shares and all that. There's enough space in there, but it doesn't allow even for the next two to one split, right? So so I don't I don't question that's actually not true. I, I don't like the three to one. I found that was, you know, thin. But um but even thinner was that this basic change in the bylaws of number maximum number of outstanding shares could have been solved for a good moment, just by putting a huge number, that wouldn't have meant that we now have to split 22. Gotcha. Those are two different mm -hmm. things. Gotcha. Okay, that helps. Um, Robin, I know yeah, you were lagging last time. To, did you have any? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I've gone to a trillion or 10 trillion and still done enough three for one split. And then and we, and it's, it, yeah. it, it, mm -hmm. it's, we still got a lot of lag, Rodman, on your side. Just FYI, it might okay. be better if you uh, if you send uh, your questions on the private chat. I don't know if you can pull it up on your side, and then uh, if you want to add some color, I can always uh, speak on your behalf. You can stay on. It's just it's super laggy, unfortunately. So, but stay on. We'll have you on, and then maybe uh, uh, through the stream, maybe we'll bring in some people too, and they can ask a question as well. We'll see how this goes. That may be fun. Um, Hans, did you want to uh, drive us, or Alexander, did you want to add anything else on that specific topic, or uh, should no. we uh, hit a different one? I, I don't. I don't. Do you follow up on the questions on the on the side? Um, I can. Yeah, I, I can. There was one. There was one in there. <laughs> I saw there was a comment from DRK. I'm with Alexander. The more you know, it can get depressing. We have the power of numbers for now. Um, <laughs> there was another comment that said, uh, investing in Tesla seems like a continuous conviction, but thinking through the available material and, uh, and reversing one's own thesis seems key. Focus on fewer indices, perhaps. Mm. Um, did you have any comments there based on that comment? No, that, no that, that's true. But um, I mean, actually forward looking, you know, Past ratios don't help you much. You have to set up a scenario, and each of us has to do that by himself. You know, will robotaxi happen? How many cars will they produce? How many more sites will they open? So it obviously helps that we interact so much because we can challenge our our own views. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I I rather challenge my convictions on my future views of Tesla than thinking about financial ratios for Tesla. It's just, it's a company that is, you know, it's not, we're not in the 
numbers behind the comma. This is not, that's not the problem. Tesla's future, it can be so much exponentially bigger that we shouldn't lose that big picture conviction. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Um, Hans, go ahead and, uh, and drive us for the next one. Yeah, so um, I really enjoyed the conversations you had with Ted Park and then Ross Gerber recently. Those were great. Uh, one of the topics that came up in your conversation with Ross was that you know you both have some disagreements with Kathy Wood and ARK Invest in the way that they manage their funds. And I was curious, um, first topic is, what is it that you think that ARK gets right? And then where are there opportunities for improvement? Okay. There was another thank question too on the comments. Can you ask Alexandra about ARC ETF? So that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so on ARC, um, great team, great communication, been there at the right moment, been patient from 2015 to 2020, uh, going against all odds, uh, being vocal about Tesla. So, so there's lots of good stuff, right? No, no doubt mm -hmm. about it. Up to now, I still absolutely love their macro analysis. Um, I mean, they got inflation wrong, but who didn't get inflation wrong? What happened the last 12 months was absolutely crazy, and I don't think anybody could have predicted it the way it, it, it turned out. Uh, but other than that, um, fact of challenging so many old style uh, theses and being vocal about it and being very patient in explaining it to us and, and getting it over, I, I absolutely um, appreciate. And there's actually no none of the Friday, first Friday videos that Kathy puts out that I ever miss. That is my mm -hmm. obligation on the first weekend. And I sometimes even do them twice or three times just to make sure. I really grab everything because she's really thorough in going through all these analysis and, and, and explaining it. Um, so, so lots of kudos for her. And compared to all the other um, fund managers I follow, nobody does that as good as she does. You know, nobody mm -hmm. else goes so deep into the, the economics and the, and the macroeconomics that, that she does. Um, then on stock picking, um, I have serious doubts about Monte Carlo models they use. Um, what they do is they have a couple of scenarios and then they run it through this Monte Carlo um, schemes. And I, I just, especially for Tesla, think this is the worst way of doing it. I mean, you, you will get a natural distribution depending on what scenarios you filter in because that's just how it works. But I don't think that that gives you your price prediction in five or 10 years, because now they're doing it for eight mm -hmm. or 10 years now. Um, and that's not how I would do it. I completely disagree with their, their way of doing it. Because the, the thing is, from the beginning, you have the scenarios. So why do you even want to go through all these unrealistic probabilities to sort out the most realistic one? I just, I just, I can't get there. Um, well, one of the justifications that they do cite that, you know, I don't have a ton of experience with, but you may be able to provide some more color on this. It's just that it is a really good way to boil down what is your model sensitivity? Like mm -hmm. what are the inputs that really drive your financial results in the long run and which inputs are kind of uh, here, there, wherever. And mm -hmm. so is that a valuable use for Monte Carlo and... Or you know what's your what's your experience well, and take I, on that? I don't. And I don't. Sorry, think so. real quick. Could we could we maybe define exactly what Monte Carlo is just for those that are not familiar? Oh well, it's um, it's a statistical model. I, I'm 
very little familiar with it. I'm very happy to be married to a statistician who, who knows what it is. And, <laughs> this is actually our kitchen table discussions for years now, <laughs> because I just don't believe that you can do that. I don't believe that you can filter out um, your noise in your scenario by testing it through thousands and thousands. So I think they go into the hundreds of thousands of mm -hmm. scenarios in that Monte Carlo thing. I think reality always wins and reality is not the mean after having given away the noise. Oh, I think we're gone. Oh, there she is. There he is. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, just, I was pulling it up while you're talking. Yep. Exactly. So, so um, I just believe the, the, the way this is done doesn't give justice to a stock like Tesla. Now, Tesla in their portfolio is one of the more solid stocks, right? They they place their stocks in RK and in, in the other funds um, between VCs, you know, VCs like uh, you know the people doing venture capital, um, and the more established stocks that are already moving into the indices, may it be uh, S and P 500 or smaller caps so it would be it would be um in that niche they are already on the stock exchange but they're not established yet so obviously tesla is well advanced because as tesla is now in the s p 500 but lots of other stocks in their portfolio especially in genomics funds but also in others are not they just came out of vc so thinking that monte carlo gives you this security that it's supposed to give you meaning that you have now foreseen all the different cases and you've come up with this mean in the middle that guides you. I just think life doesn't happen like that. I just do believe that gives you a false sense of having tested um, without consideration of what will really happen in the, in the real life. So I, I don't agree. I don't agree with their portfolio stock picking. I don't agree with their follow-up on stock. I'm actually quite disappointed how lagging they are to new information that was particularly visible in Teladoc. I mean, I follow them just to, to also um, put in perspective how little I know about them. Um, I follow them because I follow Tesla. When I started investing in Tesla, like I told you, I just got into it because I had this <laughs> divine inspiration that this is now it, right? And then I needed to retro-engineer how convinced I, I was. Um, and so my, my retro-engineering was like looking where do the big clusters of the Tesla stock sit? Who is owning a lot of it? And could they move the market? Because obviously, as a former fund manager, one thing I know is if a whale comes and sells you got a problem, right, if you're on the other side. And um, and so very quickly, I found that the ARC ETFs obviously had loads of them. So I started daily checking what they are doing. Then I added Ross and uh, Gary, and then more lately, um, uh, Ted Park. And my focus initially was only looking at what they did with Tesla. And initially, I was very happy. They bought, they bought more, they came to 10%, they came to 12%. They started trimming every time they were at 12%. I found that was the most stupid thing to do. So I started criticizing them for their internal 10% role. I still think that's a mistake, having that internal 10% role. And I think they have it because they have pension money in there. I think more, more research I do with them that nearly half of the ARC funds are institutional money, meaning banks wow. investing there or retirement funds or whatever. But, you know, our key people that were 
trying to criticize here all the time, the ones putting money in the ARC funds. And those people oblige them, is my theory, I don't know for sure, uh, to, to respect those 10% rules, saying, okay, once you're after 10% and the, 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 the stock keeps on running, we let you run to 12, but then cut, cut, cut. Um, and so I do believe they give this wrong image of we're so innovative, yet they follow these old-style diversification rules. Um, so that's, that was the first criticism I had. That started a year ago, year and a half ago. I started to become vocal about it. Um, and then came the period when Tesla stock this year went lower and they changed of strategies. They actually, to their honor, um, reacted very quickly when... Elon sold stock in November 2021. I don't know whether they have um, a theory of um, uh, whether they have a theory of watching what owners do and when owners sell stock, they automatically sell as well. I don't know whether that is it, but if that was it, they, they were right, right? I mean, I wouldn't have sold then because I have time, but if you manage a fund, that may have been a good moment to think about selling, so they did that. Um, but between them trimming Tesla further, going into the 7 and 8%, we were at one moment at 12%, with the market going down and then being in very early stock, which got obviously a hit, growth got hit, but small growth got hit even worse. So um, they just went from 5 million Tesla stocks in their portfolio down to 1.3%. Okay, so the, the that is just something I, I was happy to witness it. I was happy to comment on it on every day, but it just showed as well the limits of their fund management. So let me let me just sum it up because I talked a lot. I'm sorry. Yes, for macroeconomics, um, don't like the valuation model, but I mean they were right on Tesla being at four thousand, no doubt. But but don't like it. Um, but even less like the internal diversification rules. That is the point I really, really, really don't like it. Um, that doesn't mean Gary and um, Ross do it better because they also have, I mean, Gary doesn't have a 10% rule, but he hardly pushes it be beyond 12. Uh, he could go up to 25, um, uh, same for Ross. And um, Ted Park, does it differently because he has this option overlay, so he can be way over 100% Tesla exposure. Completely different approach. Mm -hmm. Sorry for the long answer. Super in depth. Oh. No, that that was a phenomenally good answer. There was a, there was a comment I want to read, and I think what we're going to do at the end, we'll do a 15 minute Q and A with the uh, with the comments section open. We'll have people come on. This is actually posted by one of our uh, community members as well. He's part of our Patreon group. He's on, but he didn't sign up for the call, so we're going to have him wait until the end. But uh, one of the comments was, I disagree with Alexandra on the Monte Carlo. This actually helps uh, model inter product network effects so much better. And there was a follow up uh, comment too. So much more important with a company like Tesla, where so many interrelated products in the ecosystem. Um, any any off the top thoughts there, Alexandra? Or or uh, well, sort of I, I mean, I know I get quite a lot of criticism. A big uh, big Twitter discussion on this was also with Alex Voigt in in Germany because he also loves it, and and I just don't. And I actually, to tell you the truth, big discussion also on the kitchen table, right? Because when you're married to somebody very deep into options, thank heavens. I mean, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but I still maintain that. Tesla is just so much quicker in innovating and doing other things that you just can't break it down on a, on a, in, a in a model thing. But I mean, like I said, I don't think it's really major. 
Um, my major criticism of, of uh, ARC is much more in their diversification of every day. That, that is hindering their performance and has been hindering their performance much, much more than the whole Monte Carlo thing. We can talk about Monte Carlo all the time and use it or don't use it. Each of us has to find the model with which we're happy you know, projecting what we're waiting for. But, uh, but that doesn't change that I hate their diversification and that I respect their macroeconomics. Got it. There was there was another comment that was posted here that I don't know if it's in relation to ARC specifically, but are we in the in the world of of speculations? Do we really have long term investors, and does this apply to ARC in any way, or do you think the, these two are are incongruent? Because I do know a lot of the stocks that they have individually tend to be much much more uh, long term. But is that considered speculation, or is that just considered trying to invest for the future? Like how how do, would you think? Do about you that? think do you think this is a question? Is ARC just speculating, or is ARC long-term investing? Yeah, I th I think yeah. And okay. Chess, maybe maybe uh, uh, clear that up for us in the comments. But I believe that's what he's he's gearing towards. Um, yeah. So maybe so maybe we'll wait for Chess to uh, to mm. clarify that for us. And then real quick, I want to give a shout out here, um, Claude, with the uh, nine British pound super chat. Thank you very love, much, Claude. Love Despite any sound challenges, you're rocking the stream, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Look <laughs> at you. That's awesome. That's very sweet of you to say. Um, would you guys consider five years long term? How do you think about a five year time span? I don't think that's long term for me. I think I mean, especially not for you. You're also young, right? I'm 56. <laughs> I you are. I feel like you know at 65 I should know where I'm going, but that doesn't mean I want to. You know, when I hear these people telling me at 65, you know, I have to put everything in cash or in bonds, never in my life, never. I mean, uh, no way. Uh, so, so um, no, no. I, but I mean, if you have less than five years, you really should think hard if you want to be in stock. Yeah. Agreed. I'm actually going to pose that question to the community as well as a poll, because I'm curious to see how, how other people think about that. Um, awesome. Any any other follow ups there, Hans or Rodman, Rodman from your end uh, in relation to what was just discussed with Arc and all that other stuff. I did have one last question related to Arc. So they are really great at publishing their research, like you said. They're great at comms um, in relation to most things, but it seems like all of their analysis is focused on either long term possibilities or mm -hmm. macro risks, mm -hmm. and I very seldom see anything from them that are really analyzing the downside risks of any of their individual positions exactly. in a way that is separated from the macro environment. Yeah. And I, I don't understand how to run, especially how to pick stocks if you're not quantifying and your downside exactly. risk and taking it into account. Exactly. That's exactly it. And and that is the biggest criticism people actually have with Kathy, not only me. Um, that their stock picking seems so random. They seem to have figured out a certain trend, right? Something where they see a big disruption happening. They are looking for two, three companies in that field, but we never hear why these two, three, and we also never hear any follow-up. So that's why I wanted to get back to Teladoc. So Teladoc obviously had a couple of major moments in the last year and a half. I mean, I don't know Teladoc a lot. The only thing was when I heard that all the directors live in Santa Barbara, I live in Santa Barbara, I was like, oh, I would look twice, right? Because I mean, there are reasons to live in Santa Barbara, but it's probably not where you would set up typically your Teladoc headquarters. But that was just one of those red flags where, you know, as a good old analyst, you just think twice whether you want to 
consider that. But anyway, so when Teladoc came and had this huge 40% drop, um, there were a couple of people talking on Twitter about it, including other fund managers. And they, they said very clearly they had exited Teladoc a couple of months ago. But one thing they had noticed is in all the presentations of Teladoc and in all the, you know, the, the investor relation meetings or whatever, nobody ever was seen from ARC. And I had heard that before. I'd heard that before on other stock, including Tesla. Mm-hmm. That there's just so maybe they're so big that they have their private session. Who knows? I can only speculate. But there seems to be just nothing half public going on where they have an interaction with management, where there is something happening. And that rings really an alarm bell, meaning they select the portfolio and then either stick to it. They have a certain part of their portfolio they consider trading. So there's quite some active trading happening. But you never understand, or I haven't understood so far. And again, I'm going to limit that. I'm looking at ARC mainly through the lens of a Tesla investor wanting to see what's happening with Tesla. But I also obviously observe the rest. And when I look at their Roku choice or when I look at their Zoom choice, I love Zoom. But I mean, now we have Restream and tomorrow we may have something else, right? Zoom is certainly something that doesn't have a huge barrier to entry. Yet they are stuck on Zoom. Zoom is a 10% portfolio now. It is it is higher, it's 2% higher than Tesla in their portfolio, right? So I would just love to hear what in the world made them so convinced that Zoom is it for years to come. And there we are. And, and I, I don't have that yet. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of comments uh, relating to the discussion. Uh, Richard shares that Arc is the, he believes Arc, Mark is the motley fool using better research, not a huge compliment. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was another one as well. Uh, that was mentioned around ARC. It was smart when Kathy dumped uh, Palantir, but I thought she would buy back in at seven. So I'm guessing Robert's probably uh, uh, big on Palantir as well. So, um, which is fine. Yeah, I actually had a, I had a pretty interesting debate uh, or uh, conversation with somebody on Tom Nash's channel that's uh, Palant- has been exposed to the products. So that was a pretty interesting thing, getting uh, sort of more exposure to that company. Um, I want to shift gears to uh, a question that uh, Rodman has uh uh, written down on sheets, and I'm going to go ahead and read it out for him because uh, his internet is uh, a little weird on his end. I don't know what's going on over there, but it's all good. Um, <laughs> what what if anything uh, keeps you up at night in regards to Tesla? And I don't know if this is a segue to the primary topic potentially at some point, but uh, how, the, what keeps you up at night? And I'm going to guess, I, I think I know what it is, but I'm going to ask it. What, what keeps you up at night? Um. I mean, it's it's really not as if I would not sleep because I worry about Tesla. That's not the case. I do sleep. I mean, I do sleep after watching in the middle of the night two hours of videos again, right? And then I'm reassured and then I sleep again. Uh, but I do, um, I do have a couple of subjects where I wish Tesla would improve. One of them we discussed last time with Fazat, which was uh, communication, right? I just think they have to understand that more Tesla grows, more the type of people that have to hear in an objective way from um, from uh, Tesla have to be addressed differently than just through Twitter and, and rants. Um, another point is regulators. I'm, I'm very, very... Uh, skeptical that Tesla will find the support easily. I don't say they will not get there. I just think that any problem in the way 
will become a problem. So does that keep me up at night? No, but I don't see it easy. Um, do I like uh, the current dominance of production in China? No, because I don't like the political risk in China, right? Um, but does that keep me up? No. So yes, I'm aware of a couple of areas where I could feel even more comfortable, but I'm also realistic enough to know that nothing's perfect, right? So um, in the big scheme of things, I'm very happy where Tesla is today, and I'm very confident that it will be in two or three years where I hope it will be. Um, but am I just blindly thinking everything will work out? No, it won't, because that's just how life is. It won't, won't be easy. I mean, look, two days ago, the booster uh, taking fire, exploding, and, and having to be cleaned up. I mean, it seems to be ma nothing major now, but there will be a crap around on the streets for a while, that's for sure. So do you view the latest uh, things around the Twitter termination deal? Do you think that's a long-term overhang, like a serious long-term overhang? Or do you think that's just something that will, will it's minor and case, then it'll get yeah. solved? My, my best case scenario is they will settle on something. Um, yeah. I think Twitter is so politically driven outside of, of you know, Elon wanting to take stakes in it that what I think they would like is that for two years, he doesn't build a competitor so that they still have the field and whatever. And I think they could settle. I mean, that's just me spinning, right? That's my best case scenario. I think they could settle for something that costs money to nobody, but where he commits that for two years, he's not building a competitor. He just moves on with his life and continues doing uh, the little he does, right? Like uh, <laughs> Starship. <laughs> SpaceX in, in general and, and Tesla in general and whatever and keeps busy with that and doesn't look at social media for two years and then come what comes and doesn't have to pay a penalty. That's my best case scenario. I don't like it as such because I love that he would getting, was getting involved into free speech, but I think that's just you know an illusion now and I, I shouldn't dream. Um, my worst case scenario is that uh, this law case happens and drags on. I'm not really worried about money. I mean, Elon has money and he will produce more money every day. But it's just, it, it's, it's going to help the media and all the Tesla haters to keep the subject alive and make more story out of it than it's worth. Got it. Hans, any, any additional What do you all think? What do you all think? Because, I mean, I'm certainly no, yeah. no expert on Twitter. I'll let Hans go first if he wants. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. I go first? Okay. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm way too positive of a person to think that there's going to be anything that's going to be that serious that's going to, um, derail the Tesla story outside of something that happens to Elon health-wise. That, that's, that's really what keeps me up. That if, if there's going to be something that a variable that says, oh, Tesla is going to be in danger or Elon's going to be in danger or something bad's going to ha happen, top, top of mind for me, it's, it's always Elon's health. And the reason why mm -hmm. I think about that is, um, the reason why I think about it that way is because I think Elon has proven to be such a great problem solver in many different fields that whatever comes his way, he tends to solve, albeit sometimes it's super painful and we have to go through a period mm -hmm. of years for us to see the other side of it. Uh, he, he figures it out. 
Um, mm-hmm. But as as the popularity of the company uh, increases, as the size of the company increases, on our last conversation, I mean, the, you opened my eyes to a lot of different things that could prove to be just as disruptive as an event like Elon getting sick or, God forbid, something bad happens to him that could uh, really mm-hmm. prevent him from moving forward. Um, but but my brain doesn't work that way. So I, I, I can't visualize those things. And when I can't visualize those things, I have a hard time saying, yep, that's top of mind because it never enters into my brain that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we were talking about, so when I saw your ESG video, for example, like and, and how the, the influence of, of something like that really potentially um, uh, causing Tesla to not be able to play in certain areas or governments and other political forces that could prevent uh, potentially prevent Tesla and Elon to play in certain fields. I think that obviously becomes a bigger and bigger deal as uh, Tesla's, Tesla's domination continues forward and there's really starts mm-hmm. disrupting a lot of different industries. But again, I put that in the bucket of Elon is the best problem solver, uh, arguably that uh, that's alive today and one of the all-time greats in history, in my opinion. Yeah, um, sure. So that's something he'll figure out. I, I just don't know. I don't know if, if, yeah. if it's true or not. But uh, again, and I'm also naive <laughs> and stupid. So uh, this is why I'm having these discussions. And that's why I'm always trying to learn because I'm trying to introduce more information to my brain. But yeah. um, Hans, Hans, what do you think? Yeah, as far as just like the the overall risks that keep me up at night, I think the Elon health issue or, you know, something happening to him, that's probably the biggest one that, you know, the invisible power structures that he's up against are also pretty formidable. And I think that the ESG topic is one example that you can look at that kind of shows that, uh, but there's, there's more. So health or, you know, just something happening to him, um, when I look at their execution, the rate of innovation, um, when I hear someone like Drew Dixon talk about, well, you know, they don't have enough models to sell 20 million cars in 2030. I'm like, the car is so much better than anything else out there. There's no one who is even close to being able to produce something that is value competitive with a Tesla in 2030. And, you know, it's going to take Volkswagen forever. You know, they're, it's more likely that they'll go bankrupt than they can compete with Tesla. Yeah. Um, and then all the other companies, you, the real competitors will come from China. Uh, they will be behind and there will be serious cars that come out of that ecosystem. Um, but it's not going to be a challenge to Tesla's ability to, deliver 20 million cars in 2030, those would just be raw material and supply chain shortages. You know, can we get enough lithium? Can we get enough of the different things that we need throughout the supply chain, whether it's battery related or not? Um, But even in that scenario, there's such a powerful competitor that, well, okay, maybe they don't get to 20 million cars if the supply chain is limited, but they're still going to be far out competing any competitor. And massively you know more profitable than any of their competitors and so you know, it doesn't necessarily give me a lot of pause in my financial decisions there was an interesting comment that came through talking about things that may keep people up at night um 
on China. Could it have been that China quietly threatened to nationalize Tesla China if he went ahead with a Twitter acquisition? Totally random thought. But do you do you think within the power structures that exist globally, is that something that's possible or what do you think? Or do you think I don't that's think China was worried. I don't think China was as worried about uh, Elon buying Twitter than the Democratic Party was, or the current administration. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but that, there is mm -hmm. no doubt for me. I think this this is American problem, maybe wow. a European one, but but I don't think this is a Chinese problem. Um, uh, do I do do I do believe that there is a probability China will ever nationalize Tesla? Maybe five percent. I don't know. I mean, I, I've given up with Tesla doing scenarios just because like like Hans said I'm so convinced of the innovation and I want to come back to your point with the only four models the iPhone only has one model in couple of sizes right we're in that type of product we're not mm -hmm. you know Nokia probably had 15 colors I remember I had a pink Nokia one time no doubt about it I don't know which box it is but still it must still be somewhere in the garage but does that matter to them today it doesn't they're gone right so so whether Porsche today does 15 colors of each model or not has no relevance at all you don't want mm -hmm. a Porsche once you have put your butt into a Tesla that's all there is <coughs> If you don't like the white one, get a wrap. That's just it. There's there's yeah. nothing else to be done. Yeah, so true. Yeah, you need you need a separate dimension to compete on when the product is commoditized and everyone is making the exact same thing. And so, of course, you have you know hundred different models of car. <laughs> but when you have a product that is completely differentiated in the market, then everyone wants that. Then you know you can have any color you want as long as it's black. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's. A good example, too, as far as the, you know, the auto market didn't always have so many models. When we've gone through these major technology shifts in the past, there has been major concentration in who the market leaders are. And, you know, I think Ray Dalio has just the way that he has broken down everything in the changing world order and says, the future is going to look not like the recent past, but it is going to look like something that happened in the past. And so I think that's the fault that people like Drew Dixon are making is they're looking at the recent past to try and predict the future. And exactly. what is about to happen is not what happened recently. It's something that happened, but it happened a long time ago. Um, and yeah, so I, I think that's the, the thing that a lot of bears are missing. Yeah. Um, we brought up ESG a couple times as we were discussing the topic. Um, I know, Alexander, you did a video recently, which I watched uh, full twice, uh, <laughs> once on my flight to Ireland and then again on my flight back to, Ireland, You're the to the United States. You're my best fan. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> and then I also saw you made a, a, a condensed version of that video because it had so much detail. Um, and in the comments, whoever watched Alexander's video definitely uh, mentioned if you did watch it. But perhaps for uh, those of us that um, uh, haven't watched it in the comments section or perhaps that are watching right now, um, could you give us a, a real quick breakdown on um, what that video or however long it takes, not even quick, however long it takes for you to sort of explain what's going on here. Um, ESG, and obviously this is something that impacts Tesla uh, 
indirectly and directly in ways that I think are hard to understand until you really wrap your head around that uh, specific thing, plus many other things. It's not just a Tesla issue. This is a pretty broad issue. So uh, I'll <laughs> hand over the mic to you for a little bit, Alexandra, and then we'll, we'll, uh, okay, we'll uh, have I'll the conversation. I'll try, before. and if it gets too long, you jump in. Please. You have two seconds. Go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yes, <laughs> um, so the Actually, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Can I actually do one thing before you do that? Because uh, the poll, we, we did a poll that asked, um, is five years long term? And 51% said no, which means 49% say yes, which <gasps> I think is a very, 49%, which I think is a very interesting result. A hundred people voted. Um, so fascinating result. Uh, anyway, okay. go ahead. Yeah. Um, so ESG. Now, I go a little bit back and I'll, I'll get there and I'll try to make it short. So I think in the middle of the 2000s, ESG was a small, cute idea. They tried to think how we can better communicate on environmental issues, how we can better communicate on social issues and on governance issues. I still have not found who was the genius who put those three themes together because I think that is the root problem, right? Because if you want to solve governance problems, address governance problems, but don't talk environment and social at the same time. If you want to have social problems, be a social warrior. I mean, I won't be there, but do that, do that war. But trying these three together is, I think, the root cause for the problem. Now, 10 years forward, Paris Accords, um, it, it becomes more and more visible that we have an environmental problem and we need to solve it. Climate change has become, you know, a mainstream topic. You also have a whole generation of millennials or even a little bit older who don't want to invest the old way anymore and get very easily attracted to anything that has a green label on it. So this suddenly becomes repackaged. The main communication at that moment was environmental. But it was always carrying this ESG slope with it, right? Um, and so the Paris Accord started in Europe triggering certain initiatives to oblige companies to better communicate on environmental, social, and governance. Uh, and at the same time, in the US, you had a couple of initiatives, notably one from Bloomberg, but also a couple in the, the rating industry. So the rating industry... What they did is they saw non-rating competitors, like um, one is MSCI, the other one is the Sustainability Index. I don't recall the name anymore. Sorry, but whatever it was, there were a couple of independent things running away, calling it rating. And so the traditional credit rating agencies probably had the migraine of their life, thinking we have to jump on that bandwagon as well, and bought as many little shops that they could find in the world that had some experience on collecting data. Because the, the main thing of this all is, is data, okay? It's data-driven. So who talks data talks also big four, meaning uh, the, the, the accountants of this world, the people, the Price Waterhouse, Coopers, whatever, the people that are sitting working on those financial reportings. So now you're getting into the nitty gritty of the people that makes make money of it. Because I saw earlier on one of the comments going on, who is making money on ESG? Lots of people are trying to make money on ESG. So let get me back to the history. So you Paris Accord, Europe starts doing it. In America, you have a couple of initiatives. You have the rating agencies buying stuff and whatever. And then comes the COP 
16 was it in uh, in uh, um, uh, last year. Biden was there shaking hands with all these other wonderful leaders who all knew everything about it. Um, and the, um, they said, okay, we have to do something. We have to oblige all publicly traded companies that issue financial reports to issue ESG data. Now, the big question was what data? Okay, and so obviously nobody could agree on that. Um, and so they missioned... Now, I don't know the name anymore. I think it was IFRG or something. They missioned this foundation that exists to create a board, ISSG, who would come up now, like it's in 2022, with the rules that will be worldwide implemented on what has to be in these financial reports. So what each company will have to publish for the three subject, environmental, social, and governance. So which questions will have to be addressed? So obviously all the accounting firms of this world are paying bonuses like nobody's ever seen before because this is just a completely new revenue stream. A stream you have no idea what this means for them because now suddenly you need data on um, the race diversification of your employees over the last five years. Um, wh at what location did you employ what gender of uh, employees? Which handbook do you have against uh, bribery? Okay, and so, so we're in subjects where so far each company was doing what they were doing, but nobody had publication requirements that have now a, or will have now a global standard. Okay, so you had this initially small little plant of trying to do good, trying to obtain information, now you're suddenly at a government level, world government level, where everybody will have to fulfill the requirements of publication. Now, the big issue I have with that is we're not at all in the problem solving. We're not in the problem solving of anything. We're in the how to build your databases to the point that the rating agencies or the or the trackers or whatever get the ratios they need so you get green light that you are perceived as being good that that's what we're now doing so what i try to show in that um in that video is how SP does it because that's the one i could dig into and i had thank heavens people who helped me with information so that i could analyze it the way I wanted to analyze it. But it seems to be the same way with MSCI. It seems to be the same way with what Bloomberg is trying to make up, meaning they are building models. I mean, first of all, the question is always what data will be asked, okay? Because this is very crucial because obviously depending on what you ask is what you get. So there are certain questions. If you ask Tesla, um, the right questions, Tesla will look perfect. If you ask Tesla the wrong questions, Tesla will look crappy, right? So the, the big question is, what questions shall you ask? And so who is influencing this board that is currently making up these worldwide rules? Well, I showed in that video, so these are certain government entities, these are the big accounting firms, but these are also companies like petrol companies, all the German car makers are in there. And I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy crap. This is this board that is gonna decide worldwide which questions are gonna be asked to answer these ESG requirements. That's wild. And then 
And then th that's why you have a situation where GM is uh, in the S&P ESG fund, yet Tesla was kicked out. And exactly, that's why you have ExxonMobil in there, and that's why Tesla was kicked exactly. out, Exactly. Right? So let me get to that one. So that one is a good one. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to start, but there, there we go. So um, when they do the S&P 500 ESG, they take the other S&P 500, which is the listing of the 500 market caps with their source of who is allowed in and who is not allowed in. Remember how it was uh, one and a half years ago when, when um, Tesla was supposed to go in and how they delayed it. But that's another story. So they take the S&P 500, they add another 200 or 300 to it so they can eliminate some if they don't, if they don't agree to it. They pretend they send to them all a questionnaire and some of them come back. So already those that don't participate have not answered to those questions, they already have a bad, a worst score because they didn't participate, right? That is exactly the old technique they used 20 years ago for credit ratings. They called that then the non-solicited ratings, meaning they would do a rating for somebody who didn't want a rating, they didn't solicit it, but they would still put it out because this is nothing else than bribery. You're there, you say, okay, you're triple B because you don't give us the data, but if you give us the data and pay the fee, that's the little line below it, um, then you can get a better ring, right? I mean, it's just always the same thing. So all this to say, so I send it out, come back only part of it, and then they analyze. And whatever they couldn't find, they go into the financial reports or they go into the press and they try to find this data. So up to there, it's already bad enough. But would it not be enough? Then they do clusters by sector. So here it was the automobile sector. And then you had GM, and I think it was Hyundai who was all at the top of the, the range. And then you have a midpoint, and then you have the lower point. They would cut off the lower 25%. Tesla was not in that lower 25% yet. Yet there was obviously the big wish to kick Tesla out. So there they did a stakeholder and media analysis. So if you've done all that. You pretended you were neutral all along, which obviously is not true. You did your bell curve. You're supposed to cut off your 25% on the thing is still there. But then you have the magic source of, source of your stakeholder and media analysis. And there, obviously, they found enough crap about Tesla because it doesn't take a, a, a high skilled de detective to find crap about Tesla in the, in the press, right? And there they decided, oh, my God, it's so bad out there. And then they publish it at a completely random date, which was more or less four weeks after Elon announced he wanted to buy Twitter, right? I mean, it was just, the whole thing was so corrupt and, and so manipulated, it's crazy. Wow. Hans, did you have any uh, immediate reactions to what was just described? I, a hundred per, yeah, it's crazy. And I really appreciate the way that you have unraveled all the different pieces. When I was watching the ESG video, the, the media and stakeholder thing was the thing that jumped out at me. It's like, oh, they, they basically have their veto button yeah. and they can say, these are the people that we want to support. And these are the people that we want to penalize. And I mean, regardless of what the technical definition of what ESG is, the public perception of what ESG is is that it's supposed to be like, what are the companies that are good for the planet yeah. like in general? And what are the companies that are not good for the planet in general? And when you try and tell me that ExxonMobil is good for the planet <laughs> and Tesla is bad for the planet, like how much of a critical error 
do you think that is? How much is that going to bite them in the ass? Well, it, you know, everything would be normal. It would bite them in the ass now, right? But does it? No. Because this was a major error. For me, this was a major error, and it would have happened to any normal company. It would have wiped them out, right? Did it happen anything? Nothing happened. They are still going on with their stupid benchmark question research. So mm -hmm. ISSG one day will come out. Uh, the SEC has this public forum. Now I'm going to... I'm thinking about how to 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 put my public comment, my private comment in there, but I'm still not there because the problem with the SSC is also, while they try to make it a little bit better, for me the only solution would be to actually re-separate the three. Right? If we can address environment and social and government independently in three different grades and three different things, and we can do environmental funds and we can do social funds and we can do government funds. The public will understand what they want. If somebody wants to be social warrior and wants to have a fund that is in that field, be it. I mean, I wouldn't, but that's not my problem. Uh, governance the same. And if somebody wants to be in purely environmental, that'll be it. But that's exactly what they don't do. And there is a purpose mm -hmm. why they don't do it. And that's the purpose why they won't be wiped out by something so ridiculous. There, there is a, a will of creating this, constructing this, making everybody. The food chain is enormous. It's the rating agencies. It's the accountant. Yep. It's the press. I mean, there, there are so many people eating lunch here that no, nothing will happen. And if they right. come up with these rules now, can you imagine for anybody... Now, let, just let's finish the subject. So yeah. middle of May, they said Tesla is not in there. So 2 billion shares were sold that day, the, the, the value, $2 billion, because funds that were indexed on S&P 500 ESG had to sell Tesla from one day to the next. That's their power. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. Wow. And... So I think my question around that topic would be, is is this a legitimate uh, long-term... So I'm going to ask this question specifically within the context of Tesla, because I think broader broader scope, I think it becomes a little bit obvious just how dis disruptive something like this truly is and how corrupt something like this truly is. But is the antidote to that uh, having a company that is able to generate tremendous amount of cash which means that they are able to fund themselves without any outside help whatsoever from anybody to continue on to their mission to prove how corrupt this thing is in the long term. Like, do you, do you think ESG, like within that perspective, becomes I mean, uh, thrown to the wayside? You know? Yeah, certainly Tesla is uh, less vulnerable because they don't need to finance through the market. That is certainly a, a plus for Tesla, right? If you are um, and and. That is the case for GM, Ford, and everybody else. Everybody else needs to fund constantly. And if really ESG becomes the standard of for, for becoming able to get cheapest way of funding, um, then we're really in a bad place, right? But at least Tesla is not restricted by that. But on the other side, asset managers that sell ESG funds will not include Tesla if Tesla has a bad ESG score. Meaning these is money, this is more a problem for us investors, meaning we have less buyers in there and these buyers buy other crap, which they shouldn't buy, we're keeping those stocks at a better place. 
uh, rather than going into the, 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 the stock that's really there. And I mean, the other thing is, obviously, as you've seen from this year's voting question for the shareholder meetings, you've seen the management recommendations of what to vote. And they were against all of these bottom questions uh, that are ESG related. I mean, there is no coincidence whatsoever why these questions were asked, right? I mean, there's, I, I just wonder, I would know whether it was BlackRock or State Street or Vanguard. That's my question. That's the only question I have. Who put those damn questions there? Sorry, I shouldn't swear. I hope my children are not watching this. But anyway, Damn is a swear. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I would like to know who put those questions there. Then Tesla management said, please all vote against. So our recommendation is to vote against. Obviously, we did what we had to do. And so maybe this time it doesn't go through. But what I alluded to earlier is more these funds, more these ETFs get bigger more these ETFs hold Tesla, more they will have proxy vote power for questions they bring up themselves. Mm. And, and more we have to make sure this is it. And now let's just imagine this ISSG thing goes through and they find now the definitions of what every financial report has to include, right? Which stupid questions have to be answered and, and whatever. Can you imagine Elon? I mean, Faza, remember our discussion of how he doesn't like to have a comms department, right? Yep. How yep. every question it's him is answering. And now suddenly on a quarterly basis, he would have, or at least on a yearly basis, mm -hmm. he would have to answer all this crap. This is going to be really fun. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's so basically almost... leveraging an involuntary tax on the entire corporate exactly. ecosystem. Yeah. That's exactly it. You're right. And the whole, and I said that the gravy train, Eating mm -hmm. up that tax, they are sitting there. They are all, and it's not at all the social justice warriors and the environmental uh, fighters. That's not it. This has been now the establishment. The establishment has it's just sucked the air out of it, and they're sitting there now and saying, please come here. Wow. I want to read some comments here through the discussion because this is just, uh, uh, I hope this is eye-opening for a lot of folks that haven't been exposed to this uh, ESG thing because it gets talked about, you know, I saw it in passing from Elon's tweets and other people's tweets that say, you know, ESG is incorrect and it's not really tracking for the right things and it's just kind of like a silly thing. But then after Alexandra helped us with her videos and her explanations, I'm like, yeah, this is like freaking crazy. Um, DRK said ESG showed their slip when they got rid of Tesla, and I think that and Alexandra showed how much of a slip it was. Not pretty at all. Um, I think uh, there was another comment here. Yep, I think people will vote with their dollars when money starts pulling out of these ESG funds. Do you, do you think that's a likely scenario? Well, I tell you one thing, this young generation, because I mean, one thing is I have with my five kids is I have them all over the political spectrum, including one that is like really out there in the social warrior space, makes for good discussions at home. So the, the one thing that is for sure is she will never invest in a 401k that is not ESG labeled. Right. She is just absolutely convinced that this is the way to go. They fought for it. I mean, not that she fought for it, but she thinks she fought for it. And, and so this is it. There will be heavy manipulation. And what these people are all about, any asset manager is about the money of the 25 to 30 year old. Why? Because this is money that's with them for the next 40 years. Right. So if they can lure them in with this ESG grab, and I tell you, you know, this is us talking here. I don't know how many people are listening to us and how many people will do this. But yeah, exactly. But, you know, we're not thousands and hundreds of thousands. So I don't think the general public has understood. And the fact that 
Elon rants about it. I mean, Elon rants about lots of things. And there are people that actually, if Elon rants about it, that doesn't motivate them at all to look into it, right? There are people that are anti-Elon. So the, yeah. this whole ESG stuff, I really don't know how we can make sure. I mean, there are people out there, but the problem is then there are people out there very far right wing against ESG, right? That doesn't help us. I don't want to get political about this stuff. I want to get factual about this. And there are very few people that get factual about it. Yeah. I think I think discussions like these sort of help uncover it, but the, the challenge with that is that it's it's quite it's such a uh, it's a, it's a subject that so little people a know about and b have the time to actually dig into that it becomes extremely challenging to really get a a mass number of people or a critical number of people to really drive change when it comes to this, and that's my biggest fear is that this is one of those things that. A lot of people with the power to uh, construct these things are almost safeguarded by the fact that the topic itself is somewhat complex. And there's so many people that don't have enough time that they're going to be like, I, who cares? Like, I'm sure it's going to be fine. And then before we know it, these, these folks are dictating who gets money and who's in a fund and who isn't and the media narrative, so on and so forth. So it's like, it, it's like one of those like... Uh, doom and gloom things that that uh, sometimes I can't help but sh even my optimistic nature I look at that and I'm like yeah I, this is obviously where we're going except except if we have more people of say Elon's stature your stature people out there that are that truly understand this and, and really help drive the message that says guys like this is not not we're not necessarily trying to like have people lose their jobs or, or trash them we're just saying like this is so incorrect this is yeah. so incorrect. We have to redefine it. We have yeah. to redefine it. It's obvious. We're having a yeah. lot of comments because Kalpathy just resigned. Oh, he did. Oh, snap. Hmm. Let's pull that up. Yeah. Wow. Instant reaction. What do you guys think? Bummer. I love the guy. Yeah. Surprised. I, I'm actually kind of surprised to have seen that. Let me pull up his tweet. Hmm. Let's see. Bummer. Yeah. It's been a great uh, it's been a great pleasure to Tesla to help Tesla towards its goals over the last five years and a difficult decision to part ways in that time. Autopilot graduated from lane keeping to city streets, and I look forward to seeing the ex exceptionally strong autopilot team continue that momentum. I have no concrete plans for what's next, but look to spend more time revisiting my long-term passions about around technical work in AI, open source, and education. And then mm -hmm. Elon replied, thanks for everything you have done for Tesla. It's been an honor working with you. So uh, they parted ways amicably. So that's that's good. Um, my brain goes to, okay, is full self-driving in trouble? <laughs> now that he's left. But uh, what, what do you guys think? Any, any, what are your overall thoughts on these, uh, on these news? Mm, I mean, I'm a bit under the emotion because, um, I, I mean, I like Kaprathi uh, a lot. I thought he was the, the right person at the right spot. Um, and, and it's, I mean, obviously, Elon and him knew before this was published, so it seems very amicable mm -hmm. and whatever. But if he, on top of it, leaves to nowhere, it's even more surprising that it's happening now. He was supposed to be officially back from his sabbatical around now, right? The four months are yeah. over. And, um, and, and nothing pointed to this happening now. Yeah. Hans, any, any thoughts? 
Yeah, it definitely raises the question, you know, was there a significant falling out? Was that the reason that he took the sabbatical in the first place? And, or, you know, was there some sort of an event or a personal thing that he just no longer had his heart in it? Um, it seems like that was the case. He was probably given plenty of time to figure it out. Uh, yeah. And if he wanted to continue to continue, um, that's, that's what the optics are going to look like from the outside. Is that what actually happened? I, you know, I have no idea, but that's definitely going to be the speculation and it's definitely going to be the thing that people, um, are trying to read into the stock now. Um, yeah, I pulled I'd, up the stock. It's about down 0.35%. Yeah, that's not significant. Hours. Do you think that's going to yeah. have any impact on AI day? Um, I I don't know. I think they scheduled AI day after after he went on sabbatical, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I don't know if he was, is it even part of that. And maybe they'll use that to introduce the new AI leader during that time mm -hmm. and maybe they knew that already. That's why mm -hmm. they delayed it maybe so he, they can choose the right person to introduce. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, he was very, I mean, he's very talented. I think for me, let me let me go back to this. I'm actually going to read uh, Raman's comment here because uh, he's been having audio issues for those that just joined. Um, he's a little surprised that Optimus wasn't going to be exciting enough for, for that project. Um, I think might be another, you know, it's been talked about before, but like you, one, one of you guys brought it up. Sometimes you just lose passion. Sometimes you just mm -hmm. lose passion and it doesn't matter how exciting, like I can, I can kind of talk about my uh, time at Tesla. Like I, the reason why I left is not because I Tesla wasn't incredible. It's because there was other other things that were like calling my name. You know, they were like, hey, like, mm -hmm. and they, they weren't truly fleshed out. I was mm -hmm. like, but but it feels like something else is pulling me. And mm -hmm. maybe this is another lesson that it doesn't matter mm -hmm. how um, how incredibly passionate or how incredibly talented somebody is in a specific job. In the end, they're human. And yeah. love and passion is the thing that drives them. And Elon somehow mm -hmm. is a freak of nature. He can stick with something forever. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's why he's got a rocket company mm. for us mere mortals, you know. Go ahead, Hans. My other thought is that um, I'm pretty sure that Andre really is a computer vision specialist. Um, and it may be that he feels like the contribution that he's made is basically as far as he can take the overall mm. FSD project since, you know, maybe internally they really feel like they have computer vision solved down and on lock. And mm. so maybe they need someone else to come in and really bring a new specialization that will take the next leg of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read a, a couple comments here from the community. I think uh, FSD is poised to cross the finish line. Don't know someone like Karpathy leaving things unfinished unless that diversion of thought was the case. Um, another comment. He did a lot and we have a lot to be grateful for his efforts. He created a great team. It's hard working on that problem for so long and maybe just needs a break. Mm -hmm. um, then there was another comment here. Karpathy just seems more genuinely interested in exploring other machine learning uh, pursuits. And one more, the top dog in artificial general intelligence, the world has been that FSD is all set up. I hope that turns out to be true. Um, mm. And I hope so too. I mean, I think the one thing that Tesla does incredibly well is that they have no shortage of talent in, yeah. in the team mm -hmm. and, they have, and they have every, 
everyone wants to work there. So they're mm -hmm. not going to have a shortage of talent. And even though Carpathy is obviously a, a gem and incredibly talented, uh, there's probably 100 other Carpathys out there that Tesla can get. And all, all 99 of those will want to work at Tesla. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, so from that perspective, it's a bummer, but them being so amicable on Twitter it gives me a lot of a mix, puts me more at ease. If it was more like, uh, we, you know, we'd let go of Carpathy and then yeah. it's kind of like some other verbiage, then, you know, mm -hmm. uh, then it's a different story. Um, let's do uh, let's do one more topic and then we'll uh, we'll start bringing in some uh, people for Q&A. How's that sound? You guys up for that? Good. Yeah, shake things up a little bit. Uh, Ronnie, go ahead. Out. Oh, you got to bow out? I just out? need to bow out. So, okay. Thank, Thank you, you Ronnie. Thanks for your question. It's you. been a great conversation. Absolutely. I, I, I posted a link in the comments section if you want to join Alexandra, Hans, and myself on this forum and ask a question or share a comment. Click mm -hmm. on the link. Uh, try to keep it brief because we're going to try to hit as many as we can. Uh, we're going to run probably another half hour or so. And then uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, see what we're going to talk about. There was one um, question that actually was actually Hans. I'm going to let you maybe drive the next topic uh, since you're on, and then um, we'll take it from there. Um, let me look through. And I want to point out I didn't see these questions. Right? They were yes. really really cheeky. I'm not sure. It was you. surprise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, I want to put you in the middle because you're the you're the Thanks. main guest. Go ahead, Hans. He's thinking about it. He's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm reading through several of them. There was one so, uh, that was go ahead. Yeah, what is your what is your uh, take on Tesla bot? I think that's a good lead in. Um, I'm actually a bigger fan of the Tesla bot than of FSD um, for two reasons. One, FSD, uh, we will need lots of regulator approvals, and I'm just very worried any times that the very, very, oh, wow, <laughs> very afraid every time I need, you know, regulators approving stuff and different steps and hoping it goes quickly and all that. So I'm, it, it's just one of my... Um, old ladies things so I'm wondering you know how quick will it go and will it go through uh, for the bot I don't think we need much um, uh, governmental approval um, but I see a lot of use cases now people tell me yeah in factories and whatever I actually see use cases in private life as well and um, even to the point that you know in residential ho homes in surveying mm -hmm. kids or whatever. I think there is lots of things that can be done, can be done much better than it currently is. Um, I mean, 20 years ago, when I still had young kids, we didn't have the cameras and the, the, the microphones everywhere that helped us to survey our children. Now, I'm sure in 20 years, there'll be much more um, to help and also to help in with household chores and whatever. So I think the market for um, bots is much larger. Um, I actually was surprised that Tesla is taking on this market. I would have wished they would first go into ACs because with the heat pump in the Y, I think they had the product and AC is a product that needs thorough renovation. Um, and uh, I wish that they would have not left that on the side. Um, but if bot is it, do it. And, I, and I'm pleased that Tesla is diversifying away from cars. Um, the broader they can go, the better it is. Do you, how long do you think it's going to take for the 
funds and say you know big money that's been around for a long time what what's the what needs to happen for them to jump on this story because it doesn't oh, it seems like they're it seems so like this slow is, they're, yeah. I mean, they're, no they're, they're too slow and the problem is not only are they slow but they will be disgusted with subjects like esg right because what you have to understand is funds is not it's not their own money it's people putting their money there, right? Institutional investors, it's not their money. These are pension funds that, are, that they have to, to manage. So they are um, the most worried about having to tick all the boxes and respected all the rules. So if suddenly there is a new ESG role, they have to do the ESG role. So being proactive, I mean, I'm sure all three of us had this moment, now we want to invest in Tesla and we do it. Or we have this moment, now we want to buy a Tesla car and now we do it. And maybe in a couple of years we have this moment, oh, now we want to buy a Tesla book. That's not how these people react. These people have to fill out sheets, but they want to consider a new a, a new investment and then they get guidelines between this and that percentage, they can do it. And if it's not, it has to go in committee and whatever. So for them to convince their hierarchy how wonderful Tesla is, lots of other things have to be coming out from the general public and from rating agencies and from the press and from whatever to help them carry it up. Now, it will suddenly be in the S&P 500. Yeah, they will buy their share and they will get half a percent higher or half a percent lower and they can quantify and justify that. But for them to take an, an active position of investing more, I mean, there is also... Why do I follow the six funds I follow? Because those are the six funds that have an active management. Most of the ETFs out there are just passively, blindly following indices. We've talked about who makes the indices, shenanigans going on there. So the part of active, of brain power put in there is very, very small. Then you have the hedge funds. The hedge funds, they have anything in mind, but not buying Tesla. That's not their goal, right? So if you take the, the few actively positioned players, it's actually us retail investors that are by far the biggest lot that keep on pushing uh, Tesla share price up. Got it. Got it. Mm -hmm. That's helpful to know. Hans, any, any uh, additional color there by any chance? Who are, um, in your opinion, like the best fund managers that are out there, not necessarily that you would invest in, but just who are the sharpest people that you should really watch their analysis and um, maybe watch mm -hmm. their trades? That's a good question. Um, I mean, it, it's really it's really funny because I know he's quite controversial in the Tesla, but I follow Gary very closely. I'm, I don't agree with him on all that things. And sometimes I give him quite a hard time when I don't agree on them. But I think he is the one that has thought through Tesla the most and had the kudos to put his money where his mouth is, setting up uh, uh, an ETF, which is not cheap, right? The way mm -hmm. Ross Gerber actually did it, he was first running his $2 billion uh, asset management firm where, where people invest their money. And then he set up an ETF via um, a provider that does, you know, empty ETF structures and you then put your, your uh, sub-advisor portfolio into it. So he did it. I'd say very smartly, but the cheapest possible way. And he had the funds because he told his clients, now 10% of, well, I'm making up 10%, but put a percentage of your funds that you have under management with us in our ETF. Gary didn't have that luxury. Gary has to build it up, which is much uh, harder to do. Um, and so I think he is one of the rare that put his own money where his heart is, um, sometimes gets 
overly annoyed with Elon or overly annoyed with the noise and everything. Um, but I listened to him a lot in the Tesla field. In the more general field, I've given up. I've really given up. You know, I, I mean, I'm obviously of the generation that one moment listened to the Buffets of this world and whatever. But I mean, it, it's also disappointing. A, a more recent example is, is yesterday. I was listening, I mean, not always enthusiastically, but I was listening often to what Trump said. I found his economic program quite compelling. I hated his behavior. That's no doubt about it. But I thought he had a very compelling economic problem. Yesterday, his tweet with Elon, that's it. I'm not listening to the guy ever again. So, And, and I came to that point with quite a lot of fund managers as well. So I'm not out there looking for, for idols anymore. I had learned that I have to put my switch my brain on from time to time by myself now. Mm. There was a, somebody that the most came controversial on. thing. Yeah. <laughs> There was somebody that came on and dropped off. I think they wanted to ask a question. I think his name was Mark, but that's okay. Uh, I'll ask a question here from the from the chat. Um, uh, do you guys think Tesla Bob will be the primary builder on mm. Mars, or, or do you think, uh, and not humans, or do you think it's going to be humans? How do you guys think about that? Well, I think the first Starship will be mainly bots. Okay. What do you think, Hans? I don't feel like I have a good sense of what the timeline of getting highly useful functional bots is going to be. Um, Starship has taken a while. It very well could be that bots are ready about the same time. Um, it, I think tech product development is such a long cycle that it wouldn't surprise me if we we need at least an equal number of humans to bots just in order to make that fleet of mm -hmm. bots functional. But uh, could definitely be off on the timeline. It it really is. It's two different S curves, and you're you're trying to predict fine uh, timelines on yeah S curves that could be shifted significantly. Yeah, I think the way I think about that question is uh, long term, say twenty to forty years time. The the highest amount of work, like a value of work, a unit value of work is going to be done by bots for sure. And it's going to be a hundred x, a thousand x what humans are. Um, but up to that point, I don't see how it's going to be anything but humans mm -hmm. doing the work. And only because I think the bot technology, like getting it to the point where you just unleash a bunch of bots on Mars and they just know where to go mm -hmm. and they know how to build the thing or move the thing, I think it's gonna take a lot longer than people might, um, might estimate, in my opinion. I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be like FSD. The first six years to 10 years is gonna be uh, a little precarious and you're gonna have some some big step changes and, the, and then at the end, it's gonna be exponentially better mm -hmm. than a human. But I think that ramp up period is gonna require some human intervention on the planet. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's how I think about it. I don't yeah. know if that's correct or not. The but. fact that they will be able to operate in the environment on Mars in a way that humans won't be able to is definitely going to be a huge benefit. Um, and yeah, like you said, eventually, once it once it gets to where it's working, they'll be so productive that it will very quickly just outdo all of the, the work that has been done by humans to that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, there was a, another question that, that was uh, asking about Karpathy. We already uh, talked uh, about Karpathy leaving. I think all of us are bummed out, but I think there's a general sense that says that they have a bunch of talent and they'll, and they'll get the right person in there. There was another one that Chris also said that I, 
I've talked about a lot about Carpathia going on sabbatical, like a pointer to things being on the control. Absolutely, I still I still feel that way, but I I am surprised to see that he's not there uh, moving forward. But um, <laughs> they still be making uh, progress on FST even after he left. So, all right, we have our first guest. Uh, Hans, did you want to say something? Sorry, then. I was just going to say maybe Elon will get a second shot at uh, bringing George Hotz on. Oh sure, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a good that's a good point. Uh, Curtis, how you doing, my friend? Uh oh, we got a delay. Are you muted? Uh, can you hear us, Curtis? Hello, I'm doing great. Really enjoyed. Yes, I can hear you. Oh. Fine. Okay. Uh, you want to go ahead and ask a question or share a comment? Okay. <laughs> you might have to use the uh, audio on on this machine that you're using for the yeah, for the I, video. There's going to be delay. I yeah. swapped it over. Can you hear me now? No problem. Yes, sir. <laughs> Okay, I really enjoyed this, and I was uh, uh, I was uh, kind of impressed with uh, talking about how she, she first got into Tesla because we we did basically the same way we are, and then it, it was like, oh my goodness, what is what is going on here? But we don't hear a lot of people talking about is really, and, and one of the things that I really realize you full self-driving beta is I didn't really I don't really hear a lot of people talking about that this technology is going to be to seniors uh, we spend a lot of time uh, taking our and folks to doctors appointments and things like that and just increasing the, the years of money when you can get in your car and, and tell it to take you to, to your doctor's appointment mm. uh, that's a big deal and until three times a week taking parents to doctor's appointments and things like that and we're looking at it the model y and when we get to that point where we have to do that i'm, I'm hoping i'll solve and then and we'll be able to do that but it's such a big benefit mm. and it and, and the bot is going to be a very similar thing maybe even more so uh, yeah. but i just don't have a lot aspect of it because it it really is it, it's almost kind of like a young people's car but seniors mm -hmm. haven't gotten a hold of this yet some of mm -hmm. us have but uh but, but really have just a huge into that uh, what, what are y'all's thoughts on that is, is that something that's really underestimated that's a great that's a great point. So uh, Tesla bought an FSD in relations to seniors and how how huge of an improvement to quality of life is going to be. Uh, Alexander, did you have any any thoughts around that? Yeah, and not and not only seniors. I mean, I'm soon going to be senior, but let's not talk about that. Uh, but um, <laughs> but also to disabled people or people who have lots of children or lot of people who need to transport a lot of things. So so um, yeah, no, no doubt about it. And uh, and and I do believe FSD um, is actually going to be of help to everybody I, I still doubt a little bit that you know a car owner but that may be an age thing that a car owner would take his car to to work and rather than park it in the parking at work i mean first of all people don't go to work anymore but even if they don't go to work that instead of the car sitting there in the in the garage or in, in the parking lot send it out and do now robo taxi activities until the moment he brings it back and uses it again for his private news I mean, I just can't imagine, but I may, I may be wrong, right? Maybe that is the future, and maybe that future is here in a couple of years, and I, I hope it does. What do you think, Hans? 
Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on that one. But I also think that the value that a Tesla will have will be driven by the robo taxi market long term. It's definitely going to take a while for us to reach mass robo taxi functionality. Um, but when that is a thing, then I think that the primary owners of Teslas will end up being fleet owners and they'll be willing to pay so much for them that people will have a hard time personally justifying continuing to own them instead of just selling them to the fleet provider and then renting them on an as needed basis, except for, you know, more specialized use cases and people who are much more affluent. Awesome. Thank you, gang. Thank you, Curtis. Appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your question. Take it easy. All right, we got our next uh, person here, Ishan, who's also part of the uh, of Patreon community. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Great, Good. great. Question, comment, go for it. All right, so I did have uh, a thought on uh, the Monte Carlo discussion, but I think that can we can pack it for later once we cycle through all the questions. I want to ask about uh, uh, something, Alexander, that you said. You know, today's like the younger population, the 25 to 30. Uh, folks today um, who all the fund managers are chasing and they absolutely want uh, an ESG uh, rating on any fund that they want to invest in. Uh, my hypothesis is that the people with you know uh, more to save or more money to put into such funds are also, uh, I would say, the more intelligent half of the bunch. And uh, my hypothesis is that they would probably understand that, uh, hey, you know, this is a fund, it's ESG rated, but hey, uh, all the good companies that are doing the best in the world are not in it. And ExxonMobil is the uh, highest allocation, and it doesn't make sense. Um, I would also hypothesize that, you know, they actually listen to, uh, well, I'm sure a lot of people do listen to you, but also a lot of others who uh, are sharing the same thoughts. So at some point, Right, the money I believe will sort of either not go in or uh, will start moving out of these funds. So uh, again, it's you know, there's also. I, mean, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. No doubt about it. I just wonder because so many people are just doing passively what you know what they're told to do. Then also you have to understand in America, it's often the employer that determines the first basket of what they can do. And so depending what's available, that's what they do. And if they see ESG somewhere, I just wonder if lots of people do the research mm-hmm. necessary and and will have an educated educated opinion. And the other thing is, I don't think the press will give people like me, and I'm not talking about me in person, but people that want to educate on ESG and and how it should go back to its roots and then address the whole thing differently, segregated or whatever. My my solution is actually really to address it in, in the three different subjects and really make the questions particular today and not to try to do social governance questions all over the place. So, but, uh, but, but again, I, I just don't hear anybody else coming through uh, in the press. I mean, I'm very grateful for Farzad to, uh, to give me the opinion to talk about it again, but there hasn't been much uh, reaction to my first two videos. When the first video came out, I understand it was long and I, I needed, I felt I really needed to educate the second one, but shorter. I don't think there were 500 people who watched it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it's a subject that, that that's passionate. I mean, I'm passionate about it, sure, but um, yeah. you know, perhaps uh, there's a lot more genius behind Elon trying to buy it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that would help us, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ishan. Yeah, Appreciate you coming on. We give others an opportunity. Yeah. What's up? Just, we give others an opportunity, but if you do have time, I'd love to get back to the Monte Carlo question. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna give a. That'll give me a headache again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna allow other people to come on if they want to yes. come on, and then we can discuss that offline. Thank you, man. Yeah. Appreciate you. Yes. Awesome. Um, <laughs> there was a comment I want to read off here uh, around uh, Carpathy because uh, it seems to be a big topic in the comments. Uh, Carpathy leaving Tesla shows Elon lost faith in current FSD approach. Gary was right again. Carpathy leaving means FSD is in a horrible state. Um, I don't know if horrible is is the right word to use there. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think it's more to do with the fact that uh, maybe for maybe they have who they need in house already to get what they need done. And like what was mentioned before, maybe Rod uh, or um, Karpathy's uh, specific expertise around vision is maybe not as needed and. Perhaps there's other talent in the company that can help move that tech forward, but I could be 100% wrong. Mm-hmm. I could be 100% wrong. Go ahead, Hans. Whether this is correct or not, this is exactly what the media coverage is going to say about it, though. Or there's going right. to be a lot of, of exactly. media coverage that says this. Um, yeah, so I think we just need to be prepared for that. But mm. Anyone who's been following Tesla for long enough knows that. This is just going to be a blip for a couple of days, but but I um, I mean maybe there is a turn in strategy on FSE, which could be a good thing. You know, maybe they mm-hmm. they need some new input into it. Maybe also, you know, I mean, it could also be that just Kapathy is done with it. Like you said earlier, there are chapters in a in a life. Then he said, well, give me a four months break, let me think it through, and came back and said, you know what, I can't anymore, and and that's it. That's human, and mm-hmm. I mean, it, it survived the last four months. I didn't hear that anything stopped the last four months. So I, I guess they, they have already solutions in place and, and things are happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Somebody said, uh, Farzad, have Karpathy on the show and find out. You guys want to help me do that? You want to hit yeah, him on Twitter and say, come on Farzad's show? I would love that. And then we can all mm-hmm. ask Please some more questions. Please break all your NDAs. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Andre, go ahead. Say everything you ever wanted to say that you can't say anymore. Um, <laughs> the club of the ex-Tesla employees. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, let's get sued. Let's go for it. Uh, the latest improvements show how uh, much and how far it has come. This is in relation to FSD, sort of a rebuttal to the uh, to the um, uh, Carpathy comment. Uh, there was another mm-hmm. question around uh, legacy car that I, I want to propose. So as legacy car builders go under, is there a way to change the mindset perception of the whole industry so that Tesla would no longer be a competitor, but rather an enabler for the fledging factories? Um, does that ring with anybody? Um, I mean, I have a theory that I had for a while. I do believe we will end up in a couple of years with car makers making the exterior of the cars. I mean, you do have, you do know, obviously, that currently the, the legacy car makers, they assemble. They don't construct anything. They, they just have suppliers, like I said, with the example of Volkswagen, 40,000 suppliers bringing them, trying to squeeze the prices on, on every little thing taking them three years to come up with a new car because exactly that they have to coordinate with all these suppliers to make sure it it, it happens. Uh, I don't think it is very far from them the idea to think that the software in the car is made by Tesla, 
right? The same way that you currently have in a lot of tech products, um, chip by Intel or whatever, uh, the same way, you know, that they just say, we can't do it. Volkswagen is trying it. They're having the most problems ever. They're, they're employing 5,000 developers, throwing out 3,000 again, employing 5,000 other ones. I mean, it just doesn't work. And it doesn't work like that. That's for sure. That's already foreseeable. But I think in the end, maybe the solution is going to be that they they get licensing agreements with, uh, with Tesla Tech. They will have their Volkswagen or GM outside look and dealership if they still want to run their dealership uh, model, uh, but they'll have Tesla inside. Any thoughts, Hans? Yeah, I, this is a hard thing to make sense of. I think Toyota is one of the big ones that I really, I've spent time thinking about and trying to postulate what's going to happen to them. They're so subsidized and enmeshed with the Japanese government that mm -hmm. I don't know how Toyota goes bankrupt or what impact that has and what transformation. I mean, just the fact that they're still so behind on making, they're not even starting to recognize the fact that they need to be radically transitioning right now. Better, uh, and exactly. at, at least Herbert Deese understands that. And you can see watching him how hard that is, nigh impossible. And so for Toyota not to even be at that point, on the one hand, seems like it should spell immediate doom and gloom. But then on the other hand, I, yeah, I don't know how something that is basically an extension of the Japanese government goes under. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing about this topic, too, is that when I was speaking with Sandy Monroe at the at the AtestaCon event in relation to these fledging um, uh, companies, I asked him about, hey, like specific to battery tech. I asked, and this is Sandy, if you don't know who he is in the comments or that's watching this, uh, auto expert has been around the auto industry for a long time, used to work at Ford for I think like 20 years or something, super, 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 super entrenched in the auto industry, really understands what's going on. And I asked him a very simple question of, okay, so if you just follow the, <laughs> the progress curve of Tesla as it relates to 4680 and battery technology, it's easy to see how this is gonna be the highest volume, best technology, best value for money, battery out there in the market. At what point, uh, once Tesla reaches uh, massive amounts of scale where they have technically you know, surplus uh, supply that they're able to sell to these manufacturers, at what point Ford GM and others have to sit down in the boardroom and say, we need to make a decision here around costs, just start buying uh, batteries from Tesla because they have the best uh, value for dollar and we know it's gonna work, it's gonna be the best one in the market. And then Sandy said they would rather get caught, be caught dead than doing that. And that yeah. to me, I think, mm -hmm. says everything. <laughs> so yeah. really anything as it pertains to these automakers, the, whatever guard is in there, whatever leadership is at these automakers, save maybe like a Volkswagen with uh, with these and uh, maybe a Ford now with, with the new sort of language that they're coming out with potentially. Everyone else is kind of screwed if you just follow the 80-20 mm -hmm. sort of rule of Pareto that says what percentage of your companies are really going to be exceptional. It's 20% of mm -hmm. them. In this case, mm -hmm. we've only seen really two public, right? So uh, I think it has to be this event where everything fails and then it gets rebuilt or everything yeah, and, fails and, and then new players come in, you know? And to your point, the, the current structure in place won't do it. The problem also is they don't change the structure in place, right? I mean, I can still not overcome why they kept Mary Barra after all the problems with, um, what was it called? The guy who let the, the trucks run Nicola. down the hill. Yeah, Nicola, yeah. thank you. Because she uh, led. I, 
and it matters. It, exactly. She loves the <laughs> but there you go. So, so you see what I mean? I mean, if you come back and you said, oh, well, we didn't do due diligence, yet we were on CNBS uh, promoting this and explaining to everybody uh, how, how wonderful this is, um, you know, and, and then you go back to your board meeting and nobody has the guts to tell this lady that this is it, this should be the moment to leave, and she doesn't. Um, I don't see any hope, you know, when will they get rid of her? When will they put in place people that understand the times have changed and that they will have to do, there's nothing, just nothing. Yeah. 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 Such a weird, such a, such a weird time that we're living in. Um, All right. We have uh, just a few minutes left uh, until we hit the two hour mark. I think I'm going to call that a a hard cut here because we've been at it for a while. And uh, all of us are probably feeling great right now. Um, Thank you both very much for joining us. Thank you, everybody who's been watching. Any uh, any last thoughts, uh, Alexandra, before uh, we call it a day here? It's been a pleasure, Faz, at any time. I mean, you're just the, the best host ever. Oh making us all feel comfortable. <laughs> Thank you for not sharing those questions before. Mm-hmm. Think welcome. about that next time. <laughs> You're welcome. I will keep no, everything absolutely. away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'll think twice next time. Um, so, so, thank you, Hans. Your questions were very, very, very good. Same for Rodman. Sorry, he had to mm-hmm. leave early. Thank you for everybody listening. I don't know why in the world somebody would listen to me for two hours, but I'm very happy you all did. <laughs> Thank oh you for spending the time with us today. We definitely really enjoyed it and you're very knowledgeable. And um, yeah, you've brought a lot of value to the Tesla community overall. So we really appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. And then Good for uh, everybody listening and uh, in the comment section, uh, where can we find you in socials and everywhere else? Okay. So uh, on Twitter, it's Tesla Boomer Mama and my little, little, little YouTube channel is called Tesla Boomer Mama now as well. <laughs> awesome. So Tesla Boomer Mama, go find it, check it out. A lot of great information. And uh, yeah, thank you so much again. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Rodman, who's not on right now, but thank you, Rodman, for joining us before. Thank you all who came on to ask questions. Um, and I, saw, I saw a comment, actually, I'm gonna read this before we go offline. Farzad looks so nervous after Karpathy news. Brother, remember Elon said we should be optimistic about future. I'm not <laughs> nervous. It's just like, it's a little bit off field, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not nervous about mm-hmm. it, but I appreciate the comment. That's so funny. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you both. Thanks again. And uh, we'll see you. We'll see everybody else uh, later. Thank you all. Take it easy. Bye-bye, Thank you, everybody.